What's up, witches? I'm your host, Emma, and you're listening to the True Crime Witch Podcast, where I'll discuss everything murderous, mysterious, and downright macabre. Good evening, spooky children, and welcome to the True Crime Witch Podcast. Episode 4, The Murder of Simon Holdsworth. So, I just want to start out by saying that this is actually my hometown murder, sort of. Um, I grew up about a 10 minute walk from where this happened um, I remember this I remember this really vividly like a lot from when I was trying to think how old I was but I was definitely still at school and you know I would drive past this field all the time and then one day the buses were being diverted away from this you know this particular road because obviously it was an active crime scene and basically if you look at this place on a map, it is across the road from a police station. There's a local college there. <clears throat> Pardon me. There's a local college. There's a primary school situated at the top of the field. Um, there's a shopping centre, maybe about 15 minutes walk away, maybe not even that, with like a little bus station. So this was by no means a, a quiet area just happened to be quiet at that time of night but you have to realize that this was near a lot of things and it really quite shocked everyone that something like this could happen so anyway let's get into it shall we so december 16th 2013 started out just like any other in the run-up to christmas for simon holdsworth his fiancee carleen mcnoe and their four-year-old son, Simon's stepson, Tiaren, or Tiaren, I apologise for the pronunciation. So, Simon worked at a place called FBS, which is in intake in Sheffield, and he was actually putting in extra hours so that the, the couple could go on their dream honeymoon after they'd gotten engaged in 2011. He was also working those extra hours to be able to spoil his stepson, whose fourth birthday was coming up on Christmas Eve, obviously with Christmas the day after, and despite not being Tiaran's biological father, Simon bonded with him as if he was his own, and Carlin described that when she had met Simon, she knew that she had met, quote, a good man. So, Simon and Carlin spoke on the phone at around half nine, this is p.m., on December 16th 2013 with Simon asking Carleen if she could stay up so that they could spend some time together as obviously this was a rarity he was working overtime working early shifts late shifts weekends everything so he was putting in the work you know sad that it had to end the way it did for them so Carleen actually said to Simon that actually you can bring me up a brew when when you get home, you know, since I'll, I'll be asleep. Um, Simon didn't want to wake her up, and then he just said, no, it's okay, we'll, we'll speak in the morning. Eventually, the pair came to the agreement that, yes, that's fine, we'll talk in the morning before hanging up. And sadly, this would be the last time that Carleen would ever get to speak to Simon. So, the night carried on as any other night would have in the holds of household. Carleen put her son to bed before getting herself ready for bed so she could get up for work the next day. Carleen left the Christmas tree lights on for when Simon got home 
so that he didn't have to come in, you know, into the house in the dark, and that obviously Simon would just turn the lights off before he went to bed. It's very important that you have this piece of information for this case. So by the morning of December 17th, the Christmas tree lights were still on. And Colleen had a horrible, gut-wrenching, sinking feeling in her stomach. She called Simon's family and all of his work colleagues, naturally, you know, where could he be, where would he go, you know. Um, perhaps he'd just gone to his parents' house, obviously with a wedding and a honeymoon coming up, with a four-year-old's birthday coming up, Christmas coming up, you know. He might have just popped around to see his parents after work gotten tired, fallen asleep, gone to see them early, or he could have been called in for an early shift, you know, he was working a lot of overtime, so it could have been possible that, you know, could have just been called into work. But with no news of her fiancé's whereabouts, Colleen's world was turned completely upside down and her worst fears were realised when two South Yorkshire police officers turned up at her door just a few hours later. They informed her that Simon's body had been found in the Rainbow Forge Primary School field, just situated off Burley Spa Lane, in the early hours of the morning. So let's have a look at the timeline of events leading up to and after Simon's murder. So on the 16th of December at 5 minutes to 11, so that's 10.55pm, Simon finishes his shift at FBS Prestige in Intake Sheffield, as I mentioned earlier, where he worked as a sprayer, I assume like a spray painter, not too sure. So a colleague actually dropped him off at a nearby bus stop and at around 11pm Simon boarded the 120 bus which ran towards Crystal Peaks. This was a first bus service. Now if you live in the area or live in Sheffield you'll know that it's like a, this is an inconvenient small detail but just to add some background. There is a 120 bus service that is run by First that ran that runs from Fullwood to Crystal Peaks, and then there's the Stagecoach 120 service which runs from Halfway to I want to say Hampshire Hospital. I don't think it's Northern General. It runs to one of the hospitals, which is like further. So the Stagecoach one goes further. <clears throat> Not massively important. Just wanted to point out a really... Anyway, I'm rambling, let's get back to it. So, Simon is actually caught on the bus CCTV at around 11pm. You know, gets on the bus, scans his pass, goes and sits down. All normal. And then 10 minutes later, at 10 minutes past 11, Simon is actually seen getting off the 120 bus near the Hogshead pub before he takes a shortcut through the Rainbow Forge primary school field, as many people do. Instead of, I reckon the shortcut maybe takes about 10 minutes, whereas walking around would take you a full 20. <laughs> like my fiance said, Sheffield is just a collection of long roads and fields. He's not wrong. So past the Rainbow Forge primary school, there are actually a couple of housing estates sort of on the opposite side and then if you cut through the field completely and go down the road you get onto Mossway which is where the police station is there's a college and then that's like a huge road that leads down onto other housing estates you know it kind of 
draws off four ways so you can go to like different housing estates so you can go towards the city center you can go towards the crystal peak shopping center anyway so simon had actually confided in carlene that and other friends for that matter that he hated walking across that field at night because one of the lights wasn't working and <clears throat> from personal experience i could say i would not want to walk across that field at night whether i was a man or a woman or whatever i would not <laughs> i would not want to walk across that field so you know nonetheless simon just plodded along did what he needed to do to give his stepson an amazing fourth birthday and christmas which really just you know speaks to simon's character so actually, at the same time that Simon gets off the bus and walks through the field, a car is seen driving slowly down Burley Spa Lane before it pulls into Dell's Road. So it's important to note that a car driving past isn't unusual as this area is highly residential. As I mentioned before, loads of housing estates, there's a police station. I'm trying to think, there is a large Asda that's near the police station. I'm not sure if it was there in 2013, but, you know, obviously, cars driving up and down this area isn't unusual. However, what is unusual about this car is that it parks up and that a person is seen entering the field from Delts Road. So, again, I guess you could just maybe say, oh, well, maybe it was someone walking their dog or whatever, but I don't know anyone who walks their dog at 10 minutes past 11 at night. And certainly not on a primary school field. I don't know. Anyway, so Simon walks into the field just minutes after this person walks, you know, enters the field from Dell's Road. Simon is then attacked by the unknown person in the field, and his autopsy just days later reveals that Simon actually died from blunt force trauma to the head. The coroner also said that he was mo most likely ambushed in the field as there are many different areas, you know, bushes and places that someone would be able to conceal themselves and hide. So after around only a minute, only one person leaves that Rainbow Forge primary school field and that person sadly was not Simon. So the person returns to the parked car on Dells Road before just driving away, leaving Simon to die cold and alone which just really speaks to how frenzied and frantic and disgustingly cowardly this attack was in a minute just cat just ambushes him from behind bludgeons him and then just runs off like a coward it's it's terrible so his body was actually found on the morning of december 17th by a member of the public who was walking across the field to get to work. Like I mentioned previously, this field during the day uses a cut through, obviously there's a primary school at the top, people walk the dogs, there's a pub nearby, but at night, I would avoid it. So the person who found him said that he was laid wrapped in what looked like a blanket or a duvet, and that he actually looked like he was asleep and not dead. Although on closer inspection, when they saw that he had been bludgeoned over the head, it was clear that Simon was actually dead, not asleep. 
So this member of the public luckily phones it in, they call the police. Within literally minutes, the South Yorkshire Police and Crime Scene Investigation were on the scene, which I should hope so considering how close one of Sheffield's main police stations are is. So what's weird about that case is that it's a five minute walk from the police station. So if Simon had actually walked around the field and not through it, he would have been like metres away from the entrance of the station. And that's not to blame him at all. This is in no way blaming Simon for, oh, if he hadn't walked through the field, he would be alive. No. No one deserves to be murdered, no matter what they do. You can, you know, be a sex worker, you can be involved in anything. No one deserves to get murdered. All I'm doing here is just stating a fact that, you know, the path that goes around it is literally metres from the police station. So, police actually had a few lines of inquiry in this case, and they suspected 47-year-old Sean Wainwright. So, Wainwright was actually seen on the 17th of December 2013, selling a gold chain at a pawn shop in Sheffield City Centre. I believe it might have been on Ecclesfield Road, which is quite a distance, well not quite a distance, but, you know, it's, it's a bit out of the way to go. From, from this area, it's about, I'd want to say about 8 miles from where this happened to Sheffield City Centre and it also means he would have had to have missed work. More of this later, this small detail of Sean Wainwright seeing selling a gold chain becomes very very important later on. So sadly for the Holdsworth family, Christmas came and went and his fiancée and stepchild had to face Christmas without their beloved Simon. And they also had to face Christmas without any answers, which absolutely is absolutely heartbreaking. How do you explain to a three, four-year-old that, you know, Dad's, Dad's not going to be here for Christmas and he's not coming back? I, I can't imagine, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that Simon's fiancée and his family went through. So on January 2nd, 2014, Crime Stoppers released a £5,000 reward for any information that would lead to an arrest or a major breakthrough in this case. Um, local residents were completely in shock that something like this could happen in the area. Again, like I said, you didn't, you got crime, but you didn't get murder. You know, it was extremely, extremely rare. Like, I think this is the only case that I know of in my area of someone being murdered. So, with so much disgust and, you know, grief and sadness outpouring into the community, it was so strange that nobody wanted to talk about what happened. And if somebody did know something, well, they just, they just weren't talking about it. So only a day later, on the 3rd of January 2014, um, police reported to the local news, which is the Star, that Simon's gold chain and Nokia 201 phone were missing from his body. So remember, on the 17th of December 2013, Sean Wainwright is seen selling a gold chain. Police believe heavily that this chain belonged to Simon, and that's why that's important. 
So obviously, naturally, because of those events, Sean Wainwright is considered a main suspect for police. Um, Sean and Simon worked together at FPS, FBS Prestige in Intake, and Sean was actually described as a violent bully and often intimidated others at work to get what he wanted. So it seems like Sean is not a very nice man at all. So Sean Wainwright was held, questioned in the suspicion of murdering Simon, but with little evidence and no confession, Sean was bailed on the 16th of January 2014. So the investigation kind of went quiet for a few months, but finally another break in the case came. So Crime Watch aired an episode on the 19th of March 2014. It's between the 19th and 20th of March. I actually can't find the original clip of the Crime Watch show for some reason the BBC are not letting me watch it. It's apparently no longer available. Um, I've looked on YouTube. I think I found a few clips on YouTube so I will leave them in the description if you're interested. So on the Crime Watch episode they showed a blue Vauxhall Astra that police wanted the public's help in identifying. So this car was the car that was from the CCTV that was seen on the night of Simon's murder driving down Dells Road before leaving a minute after Simon had been attacked. So police had finally identified the car that was seen on CCTV coming and then leaving. So they finally had something to go on. Also luckily for the police, the car had extremely distinguishing features. One headlight was more dipped than the other. It had a light up number plate, a distinctive boot spoiler and non-standard rear lights. So this car would stand out. This isn't your box standard basic blue Vauxhall Astra. Like this is someone who cares about their car. They put time into it. They like it to look nice. Kind of a boy racer car, but this is definitely a car that is distinctive. Okay, think about how many Vauxhall Astras are out there. These distinctive features definitely helped police to narrow it down. So it was actually discovered after some good old old school police work that the car belonged to none other than Sean Wainwright. Is anyone surprised? Because I wasn't. So Sean had actually left work early that evening, so the 16th of December, when Simon was murdered. Um, he left work after telling colleagues that he was, quote, going fishing. Don't know who goes fishing at 10 o'clock at night, um, again, but I'm not a fishing aficionado, so I don't know. Anyway, he left at 10pm instead of leaving at 11pm, which is when I assumed the shift finished for everyone. I'm guessing that everyone was sort of on the same shift, so everyone could like lock up and stuff. Not sure. So it's actually unknown what Sean did for this full hour, since his house was only a five-minute drive away. Um, I believe he lived in Arbathorn, which at this time of night there's going to be minimal traffic. Again, it's only going to be a five-ten-minute drive until he was home. But so on the night of December sixteenth. He actually turns back up at work at 5.55pm and he saw Simon stood at the bus stop waiting for the bus. Obviously, you know, I'm guessing that they'd obviously locked up early and been like, right, it's 5 to everything's done, let's go. That's not unusual for night shift. 
Um, Sean asked Simon if he could go and let him back into work so he could get his wallet. Um, so he could actually go back out fishing. Maybe Sean was trying to make his story of going fishing more believable and oh no I left my wallet at work so now I can't go fishing. I don't know if this was him trying to make an alibi or something but whatevs. So Simon obviously told him no I can't go back. I've got to get home. Sean saw red and he was clearly infuriated by this. So another fun fact, no I shouldn't say fun fact, this this case is not a case of fun facts, but another fact that we do know is that 48 hours after Simon's murder, so 18th of December 2013, around that time, Sean was actually seen visiting the crime scene over 11 different times. Um, Again, if you you know if you're indeed true crime and stuff like that, that's why you're here. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, it's a clear indication that someone is involved in this case, sort of beyond being this distressed member of the public, member of the community. Like, oh my god, what's going on? You know, especially, oh my god, my son didn't come home last night, and I've just heard that they found a man's body in this field. Like, obviously, you can imagine that people naturally like crowd psychology will go to a crime scene and be like oh my god what's going on you know it's shock it's understandable but visiting a crime scene over 11 times when you are not police you're not csi you're not the family is a massive indication that you have an interest beyond in this case you know basically it's a it's, it's a hard a hard large indicator that you're involved in some way or another. Disgustingly, Sean is actually seen laying a wreath at a small memorial on the field on the 19th of December. So I'm not sure if he thought he was being clever, like, catch me if you can, look how good I am, you know. I'm laying, like, he was literally laying a wreath at his own victim's memorial, but it doesn't get more disgusting and twisted than a killer doing that it just shows how cocky and big-headed and like amazing he thought he was he thought he was untouchable and that he would get away with it and luckily he didn't so also some tips came in that sean had been telling people about simon's missing gold chain and black nokia 201 phone he'd actually been telling them before the police releases information to the public and obviously, in any case, there are only two people who would have known. Well, two people hypothetically who would have known. The police, if we count as one person, and the killer. So, you know, how would Sean have known that Simon's phone and gold chain were missing if this was something that hadn't been reported to the public, but he also wasn't the killer? Hmm. <laughs> so... Finally, 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 after a year of police chasing him down, chasing down evidence and leads, you know, uh, creating a case against him, which I know can take a very, very long time, it's about six months, the average case against, like, criminal prosecution against someone will take about six months, which, when you think about it, 
is actually really fast considering how much stuff you have to get together. And you have to be on top of the case, you have to know the case. Inside out, back to front, like you have to live, breathe, like everything about the case. So, Sean Wainwright was convicted of the murder of 36 year old Simon Holtzworth. Police were able to recover gloves from the crime scene and obviously the, the DNA was, was locked out and it matched to Sean Wainwright. And also thanks to the identification of the car on Dells Road, police could finally make a solid case against him. So, Sean Wainwright goes to court and he was sentenced to a 28 year minimum sentence. So that's, that's minimum. So I'm guessing that the judges and the police, probation, parole will not be letting him out anytime soon. Um, so he was sentenced to that at Teesside Crown Court. Not sure why it was Teesside Crown Court. We have a Crown Court in Sheffield. I'm not massively sure why that was. But anyway, by Mr Justice Globe on Wednesday the 24th of June 2015. So it took Simon's family over two years to get justice. Okay, so just under two years, apologies, but that's way too long for this piece of shit to think that he could be so clever as to lay a wreath at his own victim's crime scene and he thought he'd gotten away with it. So Mr Justice Globe actually paid tribute to the dignity of Simon's family during the trial and the work of the police in investigating the crime. Simon's fiancée Colleen said that his murder had completely torn her world apart, which I can imagine and I can only extend my sympathies and my love and healing like to, their, to his family, to his fiancée, I can't even imagine what it must feel like. So after the trial and conviction, Simon's family said that Simon was a much-loved son brother, fiancé, father and uncle. Our family have been totally devastated by what has happened to Simon. His life was brutally ended in the most horrific circumstances. Our life will never be the same again. We miss you Simon, every day. He will be forever in our hearts. And I think that's heartbreaking. That really does break my heart. It's a very very sad case and he did see justice but it's extremely sad that he had to die like that um you know it's just a completely senseless killing you know the community struggled for a long time to wrap wrap their heads around it and you know the community had like tributes and apparently simon was a massive sheffield wednesday fan so they went went to a game and you know had like a, a tribute him at the club released balloons, you know, fundraisers, just, it really, really shocked the community and that's something I didn't want to understate. So anyway, thank you so much for listening, stay safe, stay spooky.